heart back in its place. That just made me jump, and then I saw it again, and it made me jump. And then after that, it didn't make me jump anymore. Well, what do you think? Are you ready? Just somebody trying to scare you? Or is it true? Hey, I appreciate you being here today, Connection. I appreciate you sharing with each other in this experience. I'm so thankful. Thankful for the band. Man, what great worship. What great worship. I appreciate them. And let me just reiterate what Matt said. None of these people popped out of their mom when they were born with an instrument on their hip. Okay? They were novice at one time. And we invite you, if you have some gift, you can play some instrument, uh, you want to sing, doesn't make any difference how good you think you are, just as long as you don't make it horrible. Talk to Matt. Talk to Matt. You know, we're talking about a second service, and that's coming together. And it looks like after the first year, that, that might become a reality, and we'll need other people to help us. And this is a chance for you to allow God to use you, use you in His worship experience. I'm so thankful for the people up here. I'm thankful for whenever I came in earlier this morning, there are people popping popcorn, people sweeping floors, people vacuuming floors, people cleaning bathrooms, people washing windows. I watched one person, there was, there was some bird dropping on a window and they didn't want. You know, we have people every Sunday who are paying attention to this building. All volunteers. And uh, they went outside with a Windex and, and sprayed where that bird dropped and then tried to wipe it off. It was frozen solid. <laughs> so we got frozen bird poop on our windows. Well, they didn't want that, see, because they're preparing the environment for you. So they went out their car and got a scraper. And I mean, I watched them scrape. I stood in Kids Rock and I watched them scrape that window because they wanted to make it right for you. I appreciate so much those people. I appreciate the people now who are working with the preschoolers so that parents can be in here. And people working with Kids Rock children. And I, I have already been in the rooms and prayed and asked God that, that a word would be spoken into the children's lives in those rooms that would, for the rest of their life, impact them. And that not only would those adults be there in a sense managing those kids, but that those adults not would just teach a lesson, but would experience something out of that lesson that would help bring transformation in their life. I so appreciate those people. I do not take them for granted. I appreciate you who give yourself. Last week we had a great, great dunk party. So many people who gave themselves to make that happen. I watched some of you as you related to, to each other and to other people maybe who were new that week. I appreciate you. I am thankful. See, this is the day to say, I am thankful. <clears throat> on, your, on your handout that you receive on the back page or the list of, of our leaders, I so appreciate those people who fulfill those leadership positions and encourage people to work under them. I appreciate our lead team, our lead team that holds me accountable. You see, if you didn't realize, we have a lead team. And they meet almost monthly. Almost monthly. And they're giving input into what Connection is doing. And they are your leadership that makes decisions. And I appreciate them. And I want to tell you, I appreciate my mom. Now, my mom's not alive now. She's with the Lord. Okay? And I appreciate my mom and my dad but my mom especially, you see, it was on a Thanksgiving day, November 24th, that my mom got up. My mom would always get up early, 5.30, 6 o'clock, and she'd get this turkey ready. I'm the baby of 14 kids, see? 12 of them were still living, okay? Now there's 10 of us alive. But we'd always have 60 or 70 people. I mean, you sat on the edge of beds and bedrooms and you ate. The only place you didn't eat was in the bathroom. Okay? And uh, uh, that had to be left open for people who needed it. But we would sit everywhere throughout that house. And uh, mom got up that morning, fixed the turkey. She always made her, she always made, you know, the roasting pans for turkeys. She'd make a roasting pan full of dressing, the toast and all that. She just did all that herself. I don't, I don't remember anybody that early morning doing that and helping her. And she got all that done and everybody sat down for dinner on that November 24th Thanksgiving day. 
And somebody said to dad, where's mom? And they had taken her to the hospital and she had the baby of the family, me. But my brother from college was home. He didn't even know mom was pregnant. Okay, my mom was sort of a hefty woman and, and, and if you didn't look, you didn't know it. Okay? And my mom had me and I'm thankful for my mom. And my mom and dad didn't go to church except on maybe Easter, Christmas, maybe a Mother's Day. You know, mom could always win that award for the most children present. Nah, she didn't because our children, my brothers and sisters all didn't go. See, my mom and dad didn't raise us in church. I'm thankful to my mom and dad that when dad became 62, they got serious about their relationship with God. Committed to Jesus Christ as Lord. He had done that when he was 39. But he had no parental influence in his life. So he thought you just, well, somebody gave an invitation. You know you need Jesus. You responded apparently at 39. But didn't know that it was to be a regular, ongoing relationship with the people who called Jesus Lord. But at 62 he did. Read his Bible through. Go to church. Began tithing. Became very active. Now he knows, and he told me, he, he told me, I remember, he said, if I could go back, I heard him say this in front of about 300 people. My dad was just a meat cutter, very shy man. But he felt that he needed to say something in one of the services and said if he had anything to do over in his life, and he's probably in his mid-60s about this time, if he had anything to do over, he would have changed, he would have changed what he was doing for the Lord much sooner to impact his children's lives. So dad began impacting his grandchildren. He'd invite his grandchildren to church because some of my brothers and sisters didn't go to church. Dad began trying to impact the best way he can. I'm thankful for them. I'm thankful for some of you because see, some of you have been on this journey with the Lord for many years and you're being faithful and you're seeking to make it a real experience in your life and to glorify God by loving as God says we are to love. And others of you, you know, you're just getting involved in that journey. And connection is a good place to be involved. Connection is a place where we want people to learn to live and love like Jesus. That's our only goal. We call ourselves a missional church. If you're missional, then it means you take, you take the transformation that Jesus brought in your life and you let it get to your family. And you let your people you work with see it. And you let the people you play with see it. You're not missional if the people of the church don't start doing that. And I know some of you are doing that. Because I'm hearing people talk about that. I'm talking about the people who go to Connection. And I'm thankful for you and that you're here this morning. And we're going to look at the words of Jesus. If you have your Bibles, I'd like you to open them to Luke, the 21st chapter. Okay? We're going to complete that chapter. But before we do, this is the end of the month. This is, if you, if you read your worship handout, in here we have touched someone's life gift and the experiences. We're going to take an offering this morning. We don't take offerings normally. If people want to give to Connection, they put their money in that box back there. Okay? I don't ever see that money. We got a treasure. You know, somebody thinks I control all that. We got a treasure. We have three people that work with her, and they count the money, they put it in the bank, and they pay the bills, okay? And so I, or she pays the bills. <clears throat> but what we do, we started some time ago, near the end of each month, we're going to pass some of these popcorn bags. We just ask you to put quarters, dimes, nickels, dollars, whatever you want in them. And at the end of the service, I'm going, to, I'm going to ask somebody to come up here and I'm going to give them that bag of money. Now that money's not for them. That money is for them to take and to give to somebody that they see. And you can read the stories of people who've done that the last month or the month before. I'm usually about a month behind in the stories. So the people have done that. And you can see that we're touching people's lives. Just not controlling. I've had people question this. Say, but, but you're not in control. How do we know what they're doing? If they're... Listen, we're just letting God have this. And we're just doing it to touch someone's life. That's what we're doing at Connection. We're letting go. And if you're a traditional church goer, you're going to say, you know, Connection's too loosely organized. But uh, that's just the way we're going to be. A lot of volunteers. 
A lot of giving of yourself. A lot of giving of touching people in the area around us. And so I'd like for the lead team to come to their places and uh, begin passing those bags. And, and if you're new, by all means, don't you put anything in this bag. We're not here to get your money, okay? We're here to help you meet Jesus. But uh, for you people who are connection folks, you give and we'll just give that at the end of the worship, okay? After we take our face down, okay? Well, we're in the book of Luke, of course we are. We're go- well, we'll finish this, probably March, okay? We interrupted Easter, I mean Easter Sunday. We did Easter Sunday. I preached on a passage that just wasn't in line with Luke, but we will Christmas the 22nd. Some of you like whenever I bring history into this and tie it into the Scriptures. I'm going to do that on the 22nd. Let me encourage you, I'll say that throughout December. Invite your family or your friends to connection on December 22nd. It's known in America that people are more open to go to church either on Christmas or Easter if somebody will invite them. People who do not go. So you got people you work with, you got people in your family, invite them. But on the 22nd, I'm going to bring a little history into that to tie with the Scriptures so that folks will realize what we read in the Bible comes right out of history. You see, we don't talk about that in churches. And so people who are skeptical, they say, how can I believe it? They don't know how they can tie it together. Today, I'll tie a little bit of what, what Jesus says with history. Because you see, God's story is in history. And Jesus is a character of history. And the things that happen in His life are real. And we're going to read in the book of Luke and understand this. Luke was written 29 years after Jesus had left this earth and went back to be with the Father. Even today, people... John F. Kennedy died 50 years ago. And there's still people writing books now 50 years later. But people wait a decade, two decades, three decades. They do their research and they write the story. If we had time to look at the first chapter of Luke. Now listen to me. In the first chapter of Luke, he says... He says, I have carefully investigated these things. He's writing to a man who became a believer like you and I. Luke never walked with Jesus. The Gospel writer never walked with Jesus. And he's writing to a man who never walked with Jesus. The man he's writing to, his name's Theopolis. And Luke himself became followers of Jesus like you and I became followers of Jesus. Someone told them about Jesus Christ. About His life about Him dying on the cross, about Him shedding His blood so our sins could be forgiven. And Luke became a believer. And Theophilus became a believer. And because of the the Greek grammatical wording, when Luke talks about Theophilus, it's believed that Theophilus was probably an official within the government or an important person in his community. And he is probably, he is probably the benefactor. He's given the money for Luke to go back to the area where Jesus and the disciples lived, where much of the Gospel's experience were being done. And he's investigating it. He went and talked to Mary. And he found out about the angel appearing to her. He went and talked to the shepherds. He found out about the angels appearing to them. How else could he know, see? And he says in that first chapter to Theophilus, I carefully investigated these things so that you may know what you believe is true. Now, we can't go back and talk to Luke. And so we read his historical writings. Just like there's going to be people who never can talk to John F. Kennedy. And they're going to read his historical, or the historical writings about him. And they're going to learn about his life. Even his own children, who are too young. That's how they learn about their dad. From what family or people who walked with their dad. Or people who wrote about their dad. And so we look at Luke, and I've given, us, I've given so much time to this, because this is a book that strongly says it's written through an investigation of the things that Luke heard and Theophilus heard about Jesus. So they heard a blind man was healed. They went to that community and they said, anybody know that blind Nope. You know, they told that story about Jesus. Never happened here. See, they checked it out. They checked it out. 
Jesus is a character out of real history. And so we've given all this time in Luke, and now we're going to complete the 21st chapter of Luke, and we're going to see Jesus demonstrating, now listen to me, because Jesus is God. We're going to see Jesus demonstrate His foreknowledge. I don't have time to explain all that. Jesus knows what's going to happen. He's not taken by surprise. Judas, the Romans, they're not surprising Him. Jesus' difficulty, when we get to it, was like yours and my difficulty. He knows what the Father in heaven wants Him to do. When He gets in the garden, His emotions don't want to do what God wants Him to do. Don't miss that part. It's coming up. We've only got the 22nd, 23rd, and 24th chapter. So it takes us December, January, February, and probably into March to finish it. Don't miss that time when we look at the, the Garden of Gethsemane experience because that's what you and I have. When it's hard for me to be the kind of husband God wants me, I know God wants me to be because my emotions and feelings get in the way. It's hard for me to be the kind of parent I know God wants me to be because my emotions and feelings get in the way. It's hard for me to love you as God would want me to because my emotions and feelings get in the way. It gets hard for me to live this life the way I know God wants me to because my emotions and my feelings get in the way. Jesus was not surprised about what is going to happen as time comes into His life and even time after His life. And He's going to share in the words He speaks about it. He's going to demonstrate His foreknowledge of what is going to happen. These things He is going to talk about happened. They happened in history. I'll try to show that to you. And there were people when Jesus spoke them who would not believe that what He said was going to come true just as there are people today who do not believe what Jesus says is true for their life. And even you and I sometimes, we know what the Lord wants us to do. We're His people. We're followers of Jesus Christ. We're Christian. We're saved. We're born again. However you describe that. And yet there's times even we don't believe His words. Because you see, our traditions and our emotions and our feelings and our opinions get in the way. So let's look at what Jesus prophesied. Verse 20. And if you don't have a Bible, you can look on the screen. I'm reading now the New Living Translation. It'll be somewhat different if you read out of King James or if you read out of the New International Version. Okay, I just do this. I mean, listen, King James, I walked to King James for many years as a pastor, 40 years now, four decades, over four decades. And then I moved to the new King James because the people I was reaching didn't talk to King James English. The people in the church would, but the people we were reaching, new Christians, no way. And then I moved to the NIV, the New International Version, because we started meeting people that didn't even understand any of the King James English. I spent too much time explaining the English instead of explaining what Jesus was teaching. So I went to the New International Version, and now I use the New Living Translation. It's so simple for people who do not carry a Bible, who do not read a Bible regularly, to follow. I've told you, I don't think it's the best. Study Bible if you want to get into the Greek and the Hebrew, but most of us, we don't do that. So this is more easier for us to follow. So I'm reading this because some of you may say, well boy, he's not using... God's Word, okay? And it is God's Word. It's not a paraphrase. It's a translation just like the NIV, just like the KJV, okay? 20th verse. He says, Jesus speaking, and when you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, then you will know that the time of its destruction has arrived. Jesus is saying to them, Jerusalem, the city of God, will, will, be, will be destroyed? wait a minute, this is the city of God. Back in verse 5, if you remember last week, I told you, He told them the temple, the place of God was going to be what? Destroyed. No way! God is all-powerful. No way could any army or any human beings destroy the place of God, the city of God. And yet Jesus is telling them. You see, some would not believe Him when He was saying this. Just like some of us will not believe that He says, if you do not forgive, if you do not give yourself, if you do not sacrifice, you won't experience the glory of God in your life. 
you'll just experience your own self in your life. See, we don't believe some of the things he says. They wouldn't have believed this, some of them. Now his followers, I told you last week, they don't say if it happens. They say, well, when's it going to happen? Because they've been with him for three years. They've seen things, they've heard things that are transformational. But he's speaking to a crowd of people. And he's saying this city, Jerusalem, will be surrounded by armies. Its destruction has arrived. Verse 21, then those in Judea must flee to the hills. Now listen to this. Those in Jerusalem must get out, and those out in the country should not return to the city. For those will be days of God's vengeance, and prophetic words of Scripture will be fulfilled. I'm going to share one of those prophetic words in a little bit, though there's others. How terrible it will be for pregnant women, for how terrible it will be for pregnant women and for nursing mothers in those days, for there will be disaster in the land and great anger against his, this people. 24, verse 24, they will be killed by the sword or sent away as captives to all the nations of the world, and Jerusalem will be trampled down by the Gentiles until the period of the Gentiles come to an end. Folks, 40 years later after Jesus said these words, the Roman army will circle Jerusalem. They will lay siege upon the city of Jerusalem. Titus, the Roman general, will fulfill this prediction that Jesus is giving. Forty years later, this will happen. See, some people take this, this passage and they try to talk about the end times. Jesus is telling them something. And history tells us, 40 years later, Jerusalem was encircled by the Roman army. And the city was devastated. And the temple was tore down. As a matter of fact, when Titus went and laid siege on Jerusalem, there was a man with him called Josephus, a Jewish historian, Flavius Josephus. And he recorded the terrible story of the destruction of Jerusalem in detail. I put that on your worship handout so you can take it home. I have it on the screen if you didn't get a worship handout. I want to read it to you. This is, this is one of the statements he made about what the city looked like after the army of Rome went through it. Because Jesus said it's going to be destroyed. The countryside, like the city, was a pitiful, sight, a pitiful sight. For once, there had been a lovely vista of woods and parks. There was nothing but desert and stumps of trees. No one, not even a foreigner, who had seen the old Judea and the glorious suburbs of the city and now set eyes on her present desolation could have helped sighing and groaning at so terrible a change. For every trace of beauty had been blotted out by war. And nobody who had known it, Jerusalem, in the past and came upon it suddenly when Josephus was writing would have recognized the place when he was already there when a person would be in Jerusalem he would still have been looking for the city. Where's the Jerusalem I knew? Flavius Josephus wrote this in A.D. 75 in a work that has been titled in history The Jewish Wars. Their conflict. You see, this is not me telling you. This is a man out of history telling you that what Jesus prophesied, what He knew in His foreknowledge, because He is God. Don't miss the connect groups that we're going to move into in January because we're going to talk about God all-knowing, all-powerful. God, the Trinity. We're going to talk about those things. But you've got to go to connect groups to learn more. You've got to be willing to get out and dig with some other people. But Jesus prophesied this. He predicted this. And it came about 40 years later. Jerusalem was not a good place to live. So those words I read to you, <coughs> excuse me, if you were pregnant, you didn't want to be pregnant during that time. Listen, I think I mentioned this last week. History tells us that because it was a three-month siege, that the adults in the city would eat their children to exist. It was a time you didn't want family in the city. Matter of fact, it was a time we know in history, if you heard the army was coming, you fleed from the city. Jesus said that's what's going to happen. Somebody's trying to tell you that's the end times. I'll talk about that in a little bit. But this was what happened 40 years later. 
It is estimated that over one million Jews died in that siege, three-month siege of the Roman army upon the city of Jerusalem, the destruction of that city, and the destruction of the temple. And afterwards, listen, history tells us we can read some about it in the book of Acts, but history tells us that Jews, large numbers were forced to leave Jerusalem. Rome wanted to make sure that there would not be an establishment of Jewish authority in the city ever again. And so they were made to leave. In a sense, they became captives in other nations because they couldn't live in their homeland. And folks, for 1,900 years, for 1,900 years, the Jews did not control Jerusalem. Jesus predicted all this. Jesus said all this was happening. I'm not trying to impress you with my knowledge. What I'm trying to do is impress you with the One who said the words. Jesus, who's all-knowing. He knows your life. He knows what your marriage needs. He knows what your family needs. He knows what you need. He knows what America needs. But we've got to listen to His words. In the traditional Jewish prayer book, these words are mentioned because of the destruction. Look on the screen. I'll read them to you. Because of our sins... We were exiled from our country and banished from our land. We cannot go up as pilgrims to worship Thee. See, they used to travel to Jerusalem to worship the temple. Can't do that anymore. Rome said, no way. For 1,900 years, they couldn't do that. To perform our duties in Thy chosen house, the great and holy temple which was called by Thy name on account of the hand that was let loose on Thy sanctuary. That's the temple destroyed. May it be Thy will, Lord our God and God of our fathers, merciful King, in Thy abundance, love again to have mercy on us and on Thy sanctuary. Rebuild it speedily and magnify its glory. Remember what I told you last week? The temple's never been rebuilt. Because you see, God doesn't dwell in a temple. He doesn't dwell in this church building. He dwells, the New Testament says, in us. We're the temple of God. If God's presence is here, it's through you and I. The Jews are still longing for their tradition. They just aren't awake to this all-knowing One, Jesus. Christ, the Son of the living God, the Messiah. Now, Jesus told them, this has been prophesied, it's going to happen. Look on the screen, Daniel Daniel 9, verse 24. 400 to 500 years before the temple is destroyed. I was going to chase that and try to get exactly whenever I get within a couple years of Daniel's words, but that's just too much time. Four to five hundred years. Daniel wrote these words before Jesus. Okay, before the temple is destroyed. Look at verse 24 there. A period of 70 sets of 70. Now what's in parentheses are my words to help you understand this. So I don't have to spend time trying to explain this. I want you to meet Jesus. I'm not concerned that you understand all those. I just want you to know Jesus knows what's going on then and even now in our lives. 490 years has been decreed for your people and your holy city to finish their rebellion to put an end to their sins, to atone for their guilt, to bring an everlasting righteousness, to confirm the prophetic vision and to anoint the most holy place. Now listen, verse 25 says, and understand, seven sets of seven, 49 years, plus 62 sets of seven, 434 years will pass from the time the command is given to rebuild Jerusalem until a ruler, the anointed one, comes. That's the coming of the Messiah, folks. That's Jesus, okay? Jerusalem will be rebuilt. It was, we can read about... Ezra and Nehemiah, we can read about that. Jerusalem will be rebuilt with streets and strong defenses despite the perilous times. Verse 26, after this period of 62 sets of seven, 434 years, the anointed one, okay, that's the Messiah, Jesus, will be killed. You see what I got in parentheses? That's the crucifixion of Jesus, okay? Will be killed, appearing to have accomplished nothing, okay? To the Jews, Jesus' death accomplished nothing, 
That man who died on that cross around 33 A.D., 30 A.D., didn't accomplish a bit of things, they said. Even today, there's people who say, used to be whenever I was in the university, over 40 years ago, they said he didn't even exist. Today, only a fool would say the person of Jesus never existed. Okay? Because there's too much other information about a man named Jesus who is from Nazareth. But people today will say that his death means nothing. That's what they said. That's what Daniel was saying. And a ruler will arise. That's Titus, the Roman general, who would later become emperor of Rome. A ruler would arise whose army will destroy the city and the temple. And it happened. Forty years after Jesus said it. Seventy, A.D. 70. It happened. Now, let's look back. Let's look back to Luke verse 28. Now, I know I'm skipping some verses. I'm going to come to those. Once you understand, 28 to 33 speaks to two events. One is the event that Jesus said, you'll see the siege. You'll see, you'll see the siege of Rome. Or He says, you'll see the destruction of Rome. Look what He says in 28. So when all these things begin to happen, stand and look up for your salvation is near. In other words, realize that Jesus' salvation. In other words, they heard Jesus speak the prophecy that Jerusalem is going to be destroyed. When they begin seeing that take place, they ought to realize, hey, the Son of God, the Messiah, has spoken. We need to realize it's in Him we have salvation. That's why sometimes you come and God speaks right to the core of your situation, your problem, your life. And God's saying, your salvation is near. Because He wants you to respond. But look, He goes on. 29. Then He gave them this illustration. Notice the fig tree and any other tree when the leaves come out, you know without being told that summer is near. In other words, leaves come out on a fig tree, you know, hey, summer is going to come. The figs are going to be, be, be coming out in the branches, okay? There's a man who used to travel around the United States who would he, would, he would put posters along the walls of church and he would talk about the budding of the fig tree and he'd talk about the coming of Jesus and he prophesied that Jesus was going to come some years back. And Jesus never came. You see, there's people who try to tell us all those answers. Jesus is just saying, I want you to understand, when you see the armies of Rome coming, you know I am your salvation. Not this city, not this temple. I am your salvation. It's like looking at a tree and seeing when the leaves break out, you say, oh, spring's near. Spring's near. Verse Verse 33, in the same way, when you see all these things taking place, you can know that the kingdom of God is near. In other words, you realize, man, we were in the presence of Jesus. And Jesus brings the kingdom of God. When they see the armies come 40 years later, look what He says, I tell you the truth, verse 32, this generation will not pass from the scene until all these things have taken place. In other words, those who heard Jesus' words, that generation of people would not cease to be on this earth before they'd see the armies come and the temple be destroyed. He says in 33, heaven and earth will disappear, but my words will never disappear. In other words, no, not one of us can stop God's words from coming true. You can try to invalidate them. You can say, I don't want to listen to them, but you cannot stop God's words from coming true. And Jesus is telling them, you watch, some of you, you're going to be alive because there are going to be people out of this generation hearing my words that are going to see the armies come and you're going to know what happened. I want you to understand. That's when you ought to turn to me and realize the kingdom of God is near to the person of Jesus. You can't invalidate God's Word. You can deny it. You can refuse to listen to it. Laura and I went to a movie a few weeks ago. We sat down like you all do. it. Now, I don't like to go early to movies. I don't like to watch trailers. Because you see, I see him fight and then whenever I watch a movie, then I know, well, he's going to get out of that because he's going to knock his jaw off. See, he's going to... I figured that out. I think that was, but my wife and a couple of my kids, they love to watch trailers. So we go early. And I sort of close my eyes and close my ears. No, that's hard. That's interesting. I'm watching them too. But I don't like it. But we went early. Just Laura and I. My time. You see, I take date time whenever I can get it. And so we go to the movie. And you know what they put on the screen? They put on there. They put on that, 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 that movie at the AMC's where... People are using their phones and the guy with the 
hockey mask comes out, and they want you to put your phone off, and they write on there, please silence your phones, please don't use your phones, all that, right? Any of you seen that? Listen, are you here? How many of you, during shotgun season, trying to help Illinois manage the deer population? Okay, you're listening to me, right? Okay. Well, we're there. Okay, it has nothing to do with this. Just want to make sure you're paying attention. I want to talk deer. All of you are listening. We're there. And we're sitting on this side of the theater. And I'm in one row in front. All the way to the other end are three people. And a lady's phone rings. She pulls it out of her pocket. She starts talking. I'm looking at her. Words on the screen. It's gone past that. Now you're trying to listen to the screen. You're listening to her. The guy next to her. He couldn't have been her husband because he would have took it away from her. Must have been a boyfriend dating her because he looked at her. The lady on the other side looked at her. And she's talking. I mean, she's probably talking 90 seconds to two minutes. She's talking. Now how come? Where did she get the right to say the authority shouldn't be telling her not to use the phone? And that's the, kind of, that's the kind of society we're living in. Kids understand. God says, learn to honor authority. Honor your teacher. Your teacher says, class starts at 8. Be there three minutes till 8. Your mom and dad says, get up at this time. Get up at this time. The person you work for says, now you've got to do these things this way. Do these things this way. Because you're going to have trouble understanding God's authority if you don't learn the authority He gives out of the humans. But that lady, you know what she did? She decided upon her authority to invalidate the words of the person who owns the theater or the management of the theater. She decided, I can invalidate. I don't care about anybody else in this theater. For a minute and a half to two minutes, I can invalidate what I've been told. I want you to understand. You can invalidate the Word of God. It's your choice. You can't stop it. It will come about. It will bring blessing to those who honor it. It will bring cursing into the lives of those who don't. You can choose to invalidate it. That's your choice. Just like that lady could choose. And honestly, I thought about getting up and going down there and saying, but you know what? She might have pulled out her concealed weapon and shot me. Because I believe if she can be that bold, she could be bold enough to do other things that could hurt me. Jesus spoke these words. I've shown you what Josephus, the historian, Jews didn't like Flavius Josephus. They thought he was a traitor because he'd sort of go along with the Romans and write the history. You saw it out of the Jewish prayer book. I gave you the prophetic word of Daniel. Will you believe that when Jesus said this, in about 30, 33 A.D., 40 years later it occurred, history tells it did. Would you believe in Jesus? Would you believe that salvation is near you right now? Would you believe the kingdom of God is here before you right now? Or will you say, nah, I'm going to invalidate it. Jesus said, I want you people to know that's hearing me right now. This generation as a whole will not disappear from the earth. Some of you are going to be alive 40 years and you're going to see it happen. My goodness, at least then, acknowledge that the kingdom of God is here in the person of Jesus Christ. Well, he goes on. He goes on. Look what he says there in 25. And there will be strange signs in the sun and moon and stars. Now, I'm not going to try to explain this part to you. There's not enough time. And you got enough, just turn on the TV. You can hear enough people who do this. You can go buy prophetic books of the end times if you want. I'm going to tell you, this is what I say about the end times. It's hard enough for me to live the words of Jesus in relationship to my wife, Laura, and my kids, Misty, Jonathan, Rachel, and Daniel, and my grandchildren, and you folks, and my neighbors that live around, and the community I live in, that I'm going to work on that. And somebody else can work on prophetic statements. But now Jesus is telling His foreknowledge toward the end time. The first part of His words are about Jerusalem's destruction. And some people will try to tell you they got all the answers, and they'll take that 
into the end times. Well, look what he says here. He says, and there will be strange, 25, there are strange signs in the sun, moon, and stars. And here on earth, the nations will be in turmoil, perplexed by the roaring seas and strange tides. People will be terrified at what they see coming on the earth, for the powers in the heavens will be shaken. And then everyone will see the Son of Man coming on a cloud. That's why I tell you, this is the end time. When he said Jerusalem's destroyed, he says it's 70 AD. When he says, you'll see the Son of Man coming on the clouds, he's saying it's the end times. You, find, you understand how I'm, I'm identifying this? Because some, I'm going to tell you, you read some guys that say that Mike Davis is wrong. I'm just telling you where I pick my interpretation. Okay? I tell you the truth, 2032, this generation will not. I see. Now let's go back. I missed it. Verse 27, And everyone will see the Son of Man coming on a cloud with power and great glory. Then 28, So when these things happen, I already use this passage for the destruction of the temple about that generation, but he's saying when this stuff starts happening in the end times, when these things begin to happen, stand and look up for your salvation is near. And I was realized, I, Jesus, had spoke this Turn to me. That's what he's trying to say. Then he gave them this illustration. There's the fig tree, the leaves in verse 30. Verse 31, in the same way, when you see all these things taking place, you can know that the kingdom of God is near. In other words, when the signs begin happening that are strange, this is the only place it talks about it, Jesus is saying, that generation will not pass off. There may be people who die in that experience at time, but that generation will not pass before. Jesus will be seen coming again. And He will come again. You see, not any of us can invalidate God's Word. We may try to be like that lady. We might say, I do not want to believe in the coming of Jesus Christ. See? But we can't invalidate it. It's going to happen. And one day it will take place. It could be tomorrow. It could be today. It could be 2,000 years from now. Can you and I be smart enough to learn from the first prophetic statement about the destruction of the temple that happened 40 years later that we in faith trust what Jesus says for the future that today we commit our lives to Him as Lord. That today we follow Him as our Lord and Savior. Will we do that today? so that He can work in our lives and in the lives of our children and in the lives of our children's children and in the lives of our neighbors and our fellow workers and our community. You can't invalidate what God is telling us here. It will occur. Listen, we as Christians know, we know where we come from. We come from God. Today, this world is saying nobody knows where they come from. You just evolved. As Christians, we know we come from God. Why do we believe that? Because there was a man named Jesus who came and said, you will see the temple destroyed. Some of you who are listening to my words will see this city tore out down. And historical records record that. So they should listen to other things. That man, that Son of God, God Himself said, in the person of Jesus. We know where we come from. We come from God. And we know, listen, as Christians, we know what we are here for. We're here for God. We're not here to glorify Mike Davis. We're not here to glorify my marriage to Laura Davis. We're not here to glorify my children. Some of you, your hearts are breaking because that's all you live for is to glorify your children, to make them the best of the best. And it's driving them into neurosis and you too. See, we know as Christians where we came from. We came from God. We know why we're here. We're here for God. And we know where we're going. We're going to God. See, that's what we know. We know that because Jesus expresses that. Now listen, it's very important to hear the next things Jesus says. Look at verse 34. Please look at 34. Watch out, Jesus said. Watch out. Don't let your hearts be dulled. If you have your worship hand out, fill in that first blank 
and remember this and read this passage this week and try to remember some of these words. He says, watch out. Don't let your hearts be dulled because you do not give attention to it. That's what it means to be dulled. It means, okay, I've heard what you said, Jesus, but you know what? I've I, got to go milk the cows. I've got to go tend the crops. I've got to grow the strawberries. I've got, I, I got to go make the wheels for the carts. I've got, to, I've got to do this and I've got to do that. He says, watch out. Don't let your hearts be dulled. Don't miss what Jesus has for you because you do not give attention to it. That's what experiences like this do for us. That's what connect groups do for us. That's what reading the Bible does for us. It reminds us to give attention to what God wants us to know. But look, it goes on. He says, watch out. Don't let your hearts be dulled by carousing. I'm not just going to impress you by giving you all the Greek understanding, but that's not important. I'm going to give you a basic, easy understanding. All he's saying is, be careful that you don't miss Jesus because you're looking for the next good thing. That's the second blank on the worship handout. The next good thing. And that's what some of us are. We can't wait for Thanksgiving because our kids are coming home. We can't wait for Christmas because you see something's going to glorify us. We're going to get that bonus or whatever it is. See? The next good thing. You know, I don't have time for Jesus because I'm looking for the next good drink. I don't have time for Jesus because I'm looking for the next good time. I don't have time for Jesus because I'm looking for the next good sex. I don't have time for Jesus because, you see, I'm looking for the next good time with my family. He says, watch out. Don't let your hearts be dulled by carousing. By looking for the next good thing, you young people need to hear that. Because I'm afraid your moms and dads aren't teaching you that. They're living only for their kids. And the glory of family and not God. It's evidenced by the priority. Some of you are looking for the next good thing. The next 44 point buck. You know he's out there. But before I, we do that, some of you are looking for the Knicks undefeated professional football team. You follow what I'm saying? And you prioritize those good things over God. Now he goes on. When he said, watch out, don't let your heart be troubled, he moves from carousing and drunkenness. And drunkenness. And all he's trying to say there is, don't miss Jesus because... You are living in an out-of-control behavior. Drunkenness represents so many things. It could be eating issues. It could be anger issues. It could be lust. It could be substance abuse. It's out-of-control behavior. And some of you can't get serious with Jesus. I mean, you come to connection and God connects with you. He speaks to your heart and you know you need more of God. And then what happens? It's the next weekend, the out-of-control behavior. And you meant to come. And you just... Couldn't be here. And your words, what is our phrase when that happens? Somebody says, hey, missed your church. And we said, well, I was too busy. Too busy. That's what we say. And he goes on. Gee, these are Jesus' illustrations. Mike didn't pull these out. Okay? The next thing he says, when he says, watch out, don't your hearts be troubled, he moves from drunkenness and by the worries of this life. In other words, don't miss. Don't miss Jesus because of the cares and concerns of your life. And you got Him. The debt's big. Your health is having problems. Your marriage is being attacked. Your mate said, I don't love you anymore. Your kids are abandoning you or your parents are abandoning you. You don't know where you're going to live. You don't know what you're going to do for the next rent or the next food. All those are cares and concerns. I'm not telling you to be irresponsible. Don't miss Jesus because of those concerns and those cares. Honey, how about it? If we go to Connect Group, listen, I'm too busy trying to take care of the bills. I'm too busy trying to take care of the kids. I'm too busy trying to take care of the property. I'm too busy just trying to enjoy life. 
Don't miss what Jesus has for you because of concerns and cares. They're very real. We are to be responsible. But don't miss Jesus because of these things. Now he goes on. Look at 35. He ends verse 34. Don't let that day catch you unaware. In other words, oh man, if, if I'd really realized Jesus was coming, I wouldn't have let my, 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 my cares and concerns been so important and kept me away. I wouldn't let my drunk, out of control behavior. You know, I, I wouldn't have listened to Nick's best thing or Nick's good thing keep me away from him. I, I, I would have gave more attention. He says, don't let that day catch you unaware. What does he say? Like a trap. What's a trap? See, a trap is something you're to get into and you can't get out of. Some of us are in a trap, even now. As hard as we try. And we may even be trying to give church a chance. Listen, church isn't the secret. It's the person the church honors that is the key. Jesus Christ. And He says, don't let that day catch you unaware like a trap. For that day will come upon everyone living on the earth. If you could underline anything, you ought to underline verse 34 and 35 in this passage. So every time you read it, you understand Jesus talked about the temple and He talked about the end times because He wanted people to think serious about Him. That's what He did. And He goes on. Verse 36, Keep alert at all times and pray that you might be strong enough to escape these coming horrors and stand before the Son of Man. For those who are living at that time, the horrors are going to be they would not believe the city of God and the place of God. The temple was destroyed. And for some later, they won't believe the horrors of the end times. Keep alert at all times. Pray that you might be strong enough to escape these coming horrors and stand before the Son of God. Verse 37, Every day Jesus went to the temple. Now look, it, it turns. And so Luke just tells us. The people then told Him, every day Jesus went to the temple to teach and each evening, He returned to spend the night on the Mount of Olives. We'll talk about that down the road a little bit more in Luke. The crowds gathered at the temple early each morning to hear Him. Jesus only has a few days left. We're not sure. Three, four, five? Probably not seven anymore. Jesus only has a few days left. Two, three, four? And what does He do? What does He do? He goes and finds Mary. He goes and finds his brothers and sisters. You see, Jesus has foreknowledge. What would you do if somebody said, you're going to die? You're going to die in three days. What does he do? He's on mission for God. His life's all about God. And he stays at the temple because these people are hearing him say things. That is I've never heard another person talk this way. And I hope sometimes as I preach, not for me, but for you, you hear things like you've never heard them before. I ask God to do that through my creativity, my personality. Jesus was on mission even when death was facing Him. And someday death's going to face you, and what mission will you be on? Even as death comes, take your last breath. Listen, you've heard His words. Will you believe in Him? Today I invite you, if you are a follower of Jesus, that you commit yourself to be on mission for Jesus Christ. Oh, make your marriage glorify God. Oh, make your family, if you can, the parts you can influence, glorify God. Oh, go to work and, 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 and be good and get promotions. But use all that to glorify God. Be a good community person, but use that to glorify God. If you're a follower of Jesus, I invite you to make a commitment if you're not there that you're going to use all of life, your pleasure, your work, and your family to glorify God. Even if the people at work won't honor it. Even if the people you do pleasure won't honor it. Even if your family won't honor it. You make that commitment. But if you're here and you're not a follower of Jesus, then I invite you to receive Jesus Christ as Lord. You see, because we're going to get to His death on the cross. And He died for you. He died because you have a disease, and that disease is sin. If you had attended the Connect group before this last one, the one a week ago, 
you would have heard us talk about that. Because the Bible talks about it. And you have a disease and it's sin. And there's no medication that can take care of it. It's only the blood of Jesus that can wash it away. And I invite you today to receive Jesus Christ as Lord. Now listen, has God sort of pierced your heart? Has He got your attention? Today, will you turn your life over to Jesus? If you will, I'm going to lead in a prayer of faith. Prayer similar to what I prayed. Prayer similar to what other Christians have prayed. And if Jesus Christ is not Lord of your life, I ask you to repeat this prayer in your mind's voice to God. And you and God know if you're serious. Satan will tell you it's too easy. God will know if you're serious. So I'd like everybody to just bow with me. If you are not a follower of Jesus, you pray these words. Dear God in heaven, I know I'm a sinner. I've lived my way. I do things my way. And I'm sorry for that. And today I seek to honor you by hearing your word and by accepting your word and by believing that Jesus Christ was your son and that he died on a cross for my sins. I ask you to forgive me of my sins. I want Jesus to be my Lord. I commit myself to follow Him. Thank you for saving me this day. In Jesus' name, Amen. If you prayed that prayer, I ask you to fill that out on the connection card. There's a blank to write down. I prayed and asked Jesus in my life. Look, because we are followers of Jesus, we do something Jesus says that every one of His followers are to do. We take what we call face down. Some people call communion. Some people call the Lord's Supper. Some people call it Eucharist. It depends on what tradition you come out of. I call it face down because I've tried to add some new words into our vocabulary of why we do this. And if you get our email, if you don't, you've got to do the connect card and I'll put you on the email list. But on the email I sent out this week, I explained face down again. The Bible says Moses, when he came in the presence of God, fell face down. And I just give you a number of people, the Bible says, when they came into God's presence, they fell face down. Now, we're not going to ask you to fall face down on the floor. But I'm going to ask you in your mind's heart that as we take our communion, our face down, the elements, that you fall face down before God and say, God, you are God. And I understand what these elements mean. The bread represents the body of Jesus that was given for me. Thank you, God. I fall face down before you in my spirit. And the juice represents the blood of Jesus that was given for me. I fall face down in my spirit to you. This is what Jesus said we are to do. Next week, we'll look at His words about it. But today, we're going to take it. I'd like for those people serving face down to come to your positions. We're going to have somebody here, a couple here, a couple here, a couple back there. Somebody's going to be holding a loaf of bread. Somebody's going to be holding a goblet of, of grape juice. And what I invite you, in just a little bit, I'm going to just walk off the platform. You come. You come. If you're a believer, we invite you to take these elements. You come, you break off a piece of that bread, you just dip it in the grape juice. And you either eat it up here or you carry it back to your seat. and You eat it. But when you do this, you fall face down before God. Today you come and you share in face down with other followers of Jesus. Thou doest too quickly.
This cup is the New Testament in my blood, which is shed for you. unto you, that ye love one another as I have loved you, that ye also love one another. By this shall all men know that ye are my disciples, if ye have love one to another. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give unto you. Not as the world giveth, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled. Neither let it be afraid. I came forth from the Father, and am come into the world. Again I leave the world and go to the Father. Behold, the hour cometh. Yea, and now is, that ye shall be scattered, every man to his own, and shall leave me alone. And yet I am not alone, because the Father is with me. These things I have spoken unto you, that in me you might have peace. In the world ye shall have tribulation. But be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. sharing face down as the people connection. Next week, we go on in chapter 22. Jesus talks about taking the elements. It's a very important passage. Because you see, somewhere in our tradition, we've taught people to evaluate whether they deserve to take the elements. You're going to hear me say next week, none of us deserve. And you're going to hear Jesus' words about that. So come back next week. And get some understanding from the words of our Lord and Savior about what we just did. Hey, uh, touch someone's life gift. What have we got? Okay. Wow. We gave a, uh, about $275. I appreciate that. So what we're going to do, when we get that much, we put it in two bags. And I'm going to ask two people to come. I'll give you a half sheet of paper. It's some instructions that have come that we've learned out of people doing this, because this becomes a responsibility, and this will help you understand some things. And so I'd like to... Wally Cutler, would you come and take one of these? There's the instructions. Thank you, Wally. And like I said, if I call your name and, and you don't want to do this, just sort of sit there. A lot of folks don't know who you are anyway, okay? How many of you knew who Wally Cutler was? Well, see, half of you didn't. Over half of you. And so... Just sort of go like that, and I'll call on somebody else, okay? Heather Taka, would you come? Take care of this other bag. Here's some instructions. I appreciate that. And I appreciate you people who do this. It is an awesome responsibility, but a great privilege we have.
Thank you for being here. Let's bow together for prayer and then we're finished. Father, thank you for this time. Thank you for the privilege we have to be in this kind of nice facility and to be with just people who are seeking what you want. And thank you for your word that just overflows with so much good information. Help us, God. Show us when we're being people who refuse to believe what your word says. Convict us on that, that we might repent. And we then would turn back to do what your word says. Continue to grow us, not on our love, not on our talents, not on our ability, but grow us upon following Jesus as your word dictates to us. It's in his name and for his glory we take time to talk to you. Amen.